He throws the bodies overboard, and then Django would love this. Sharks eat the bodies, and they become mutated into these, like, spider-legged sharks with tentacles that start climbing on board the ship. Why would Django love that? Because he loves sharks. Does he? Oh, yeah, he loves sharks. That's his favorite animal. So is Jason. Isn't that weird? Uh, we're going to have – I think we need to call Django at some point about Bronze Age Boogie, our next book. Oh, no, that's and we're going to ask him about the shark we'll ask him about then sharks too. then. Um, and then here's this other thing that came up in the podcast. Roman says your favorite fucking animal is a shark. Ooh, I wouldn't say that. Okay. <laughs> but you like sharks a lot. Uh, I like stories about sharks a lot. I like them because they're scary. Man, I can't wait to make the intro of the podcast. Roman saying like, "Oh yeah, it's you. He loves. He loves sharks. It's his favorite animal. He's our main consumer of any shark-related book." I, I will. I will admit to that. If a shark book comes out, I'm reading it. Podcast episode 126. If I'm doing the math right, tallying the fingers, kind of using my toes, carry the one, you got the Roman hair. Um, where every Tuesday we pick up a bunch of comic books that we're real excited about from UPS for our wonderful comic shop, The Comics <laughs> Place. And we bring them back to our shop and we count them and sort them and love them. Get home, just read a bunch of the ones that we're real jacked up about. Uh, then we come back here on Wednesday, and we get to spend a whole day engaged in sort of comic illustrated sequential fiction commerce with our wonderful subscribers and the people that come into our store that we adore. And then we come up to our, well, down, I guess now, to the Pap Cave, the deep, dank, dusty, dark spot where uh, a variety of dirty. people, and sturdy uh, <laughs> people uh, related to the store will engage in a variety of tangents either related to or unrelated to the comic books, the shop, or the comings and goings of our life. Um, this week, just a couple of very studious boys. Boys that have spent their their days with the nose in the book to the grindstone studying, making sure all of our opinions are highly informed for the people out here listening. Um, I'm Jeff, and I am... I'm Barry! I'm here, too. I'm here. Yay, Barry's here. I'm Jeff, and that's... Barry, and I act as a conduit for a stuffed otter-shaped bear that loves comics and being on the radio. <laughs> and, and, and last night I went to a rock show, and I saw <laughs> Phil play the guitar, and he's my favorite musician, and I love it, Barry! <laughs> <laughs> Barry, it sounds like I got a little bit of hiccups there. I do have the hiccups. Aww, aww. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's what happens. Yeah, you get excited, you know, you're sucking all I the I was air. up all night because I was... <laughs> <laughs> I need to rest now. <laughs> you sit over there, Bear. Yeah, we'll come back um, to Barry. We'll, we'll come back to you. And who are you? I'm Roman, um, and I'm, I'm proud to know Barry and Jeff. Yeah, he's all right. Not Roman. <laughs> he's great. The Bear is all right. Hey, man. Um, <laughs> Bear's just all right. Fucking Bear. All right. Uh, so now, like, we're here. We got a big old stack of books. This week, we're going to talk about some books. Roman, what do we got first? We've got Immortal Hulk number 16, War of the Realms number one, big event, Green Lantern number six, Conan the Barbarian number five, uh, Bronze Age Boogie number one, Marvel Team Up number one, Spider Man and Ms. Marvel. Oh, man. And tell them what we're going to end this whole thing with. <laughs> tell them how jacked you are. And we're going to end this with a major, major comic 
Major X by Rob Liefeld, number one. Written and drawn by the Liefeld. <laughs> All of it. Now, before we go into Immortal Hulk, I just want to take a quick second. You know, last week we did our ever-popular news seg- segment. We talked about the Hickman coming. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you? Are you reading anything not current right now? Are you uh, engaging any graphic novels or older series in your in your spare time? I am. I'm curious what you're up to. Um, Last week I read oh, the Omega Men collection by um, um, Tom King. Oh, buddy Tom you read the King. whole thing? Yeah. How was it? Yeah. It was good. It was good. You could definitely tell that it was, it was drawing on his experience in the CIA, and I think, I assume he got stationed overseas doing stuff. Afghanistan. Yeah, okay. So it, drawn, it drew on his war zone experiences. I, I'm heavily. 75% sure it was Afghanistan, yeah, yeah. but now I'm worried about it. it. It was good. I mean, it took a bunch of, you know, third-rate characters and made them very unique and interesting, and all of them showed how they were damaged by war, including Kyle Rayner was in there mm-hmm. and revealed some stuff about him I didn't know. It was good. It was cool. And then what are you working on now? And I'm still reading uh, uh, My Favorite Thing is Monsters, oh. Volume 1, which is amazing. It's so good. I, it's Lives it's, up to the hype. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely does. I think it's, it's going to be in my list of top graphic novels ever that I've read. Oh. Yeah. Um, I am working on Parker. I had wanted to start it, and I I finally started it. Um, Darwin Cook's written and drawn uh, Parker. Well, I guess it's an adaptation of Richard Stark's Parker books. But I got this big, gorgeous, like, blown-up version Mm. of it, and it is crazy to see Darwin Cook's art, like, blown up like that. I'm... So so into it. Oh, cool. Is it is it this version you have? Does it have like all of his Parker adaptations in it? No, because he was originally gonna do like five or six, and then he passed away while he was producing the fifth one. So the version that I have came out before he had passed away, but it has the first two, and then it has this third one that was a short that I think is maybe mm. exclusive to that one. So it's got the hunter and I think the score in it. And yeah, so it's not like brand new material. It's 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 those older ones, but I just haven't ever read them. And man, Darwin Cook's art is amazing. Yeah, yeah, I think I've only read the first one of the Parker books, but yeah, it was it's incredible. It's the kind of thing that I would not have been impressed by or super blown away by, you know, five years ago, like reading comics, because it, it, it it's not flashy or hyper detailed, mm. but it's just so uh, proficient. Like, it's just, I'm so blown away by people who just do a thing really, really well. And I feel like when I'm reading his stuff, I'm looking at his art, like, I, it's this real pretentious sounding thing. But I feel like I can sort of see the whole history of comic books. Like, I feel like I'm looking at Kirby stuff and I'm looking at Frank Miller stuff. And it, it feels ancient but also current and it has this timeless feel to it. And it just, my favorite art, you know, kind of... Uh, makes you feel like you're in touch with everything. I don't know. The Beatles kind of do that. They're not one of my favorite bands, but like when you're listening to the Beatles, you can kind of hear everything that came after it, and you can kind of feel all the influences from everything before it. And Darwin Cook yeah. is very much like that to me. Just, ugh. I, I think that yeah, I think that's a good comparison. Because um, yeah, his his art yeah it does have that same artistic quality. As the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, that kind of thing. There's, you can hear it and or read it, and just like you know, it encompasses so much, yeah, and influenced so much, and drew from so much. Yeah, 
So that's what I've been reading. I'm excited to finish that up. I love checking in with you because I know that you and I are both. And I know, I know Jan goes to work on Sheriff of Babylon right now. Mm, yeah. Um, and Justin's slaying the beast, slaying the beast that is school. All right, anyway, hey, listen, no one's coming here. Here it is. Berserk. Yeah. Oh, and Boys Week. Yeah. Oh, and I started some anime. I started an anime with oh. Sam. I'm very excited to tell you that. We won't, we won't talk about that right now. <laughs> that's a different podcast. Uh, if anyone can find our anime review podcast, that's also in. No, it's not. That doesn't exist. <laughs> the Immortal Hulk, number 16, by Al Ewing, Joe Bennett, Rui Jose, and Paul Mounts. Um, Roman? Hmm. Everyone's heard us talk about the Immortal Hulk. Uh, if people could just subscribe to the Immortal Hulk, I don't understand how we keep. <laughs> I keep ordering more copies of it every time, and we keep selling it. Like it keeps getting more and more subscribers. We're 16 yeah. issues in. I've not so, seen a book just go upward trajectory wise like this in a very long time. Yeah, it's amazing. You just keep adding more, a few more to the order, and people, a few more people come in every week and snatch up those ones. Yeah. Uh, this one had a variant. That it was a one in twenty-five. So for every twenty-five copies we ordered, we got one of it, and it was going for a hundred and fifty dollars online. I have no idea wow. why. It's just it's crazy. That was the variant with the, the yeah the scary his banner's face becoming transformation yeah. thing. Um, well, it's just such an amazing. It's and it's so cool to be able to say that about the Hulk, because there's been times the Hulk's been a big seller, and plenty of times it hasn't Not been. Not in my life. <laughs> yeah, and it, this is so good. I mean, I love the whole idea of. I mean, I guess it hasn't been put in maybe these terms until this series, but the the Hulk being Banner's, uh, um, I forget the DID, the Dissociative yeah, Identity yeah, yeah, Disorder, yeah, yeah. That manifestations of that is, is pretty incredible. And yeah, and this one, <laughs> incredible, <laughs> incredible <laughs> Immortal, Hulk, rather. Um, and this one, yeah, it starts. You know, there's there's what we think is I think Rick Jones's body in the beginning being put in this goo squeezed out of. I guess that's the Hulk's liver or his oh, heart, God, his pancreas, that, something. I think that's what that is. Squeezing out immortal radioactive juice on him. Yeah, yeah, to bring back Rick. Um, well, so I mean, so everybody, we're going to be talking about the books. We're going to be talking oh, about some spoilers. Some spoilers we're yes. going to try and save big spoilers to not include him. Uh, there's like a, a death in War of the Realms we're not <laughs> going to talk about. Um, but for the most part, I want people to feel safe. They can listen to this. We're not going to ruin any books for people. Yeah. But there were some things in this one I got to ask you about, Roman. Okay, okay. And yeah, we get back to the reporter McGee and following the Hulk story and Banner and and Doc Sampson are trying to track down. Well, they know Rick's corpse has been stolen from the graveyard, and they're also trying to, I think, get into the. Um... Why were they going to find Rick? Oh, b- because. Because they know that if people have been affected by Gamma, they're immortal at this point, and they knew yeah. Rick was dead, so they were going to track him down. Yeah, and then and then I think they somehow got on the path of this secret base that the Hulk had busted out of before when he was ch- dissected, mm-hmm. and so they're trying to get back to that. Oh, God. Great transformation there. Yeah, the way this, this artist, um, Joe, Joe Bennett, Bennett yeah. the way he draws banners, it's, it's the most painful transformation I've ever, seen <laughs> I've ever portrayed yeah. for this. Uh, yeah, go ahead and ask, ask Well, so in this one thing that happens is the people are investigating the house that they were at before where Samson found the Hulk, and mm-hmm. he had hulked out because uh, Betty had been shot, and it looked like she had been killed, but we know that because she's got Hulk in her, <laughs> um, she is immortal. We get a shot of what looks like her Hulk manifestation, and she was a Red Hulk? She was the Red She-Hulk, but way before that in the... I think the late 60s, 
she was the first time she became a gamma irradiated character called the harpy. Okay, and so she that's was a green, uh, well, a harpy. You know, a big eagle except with a human female torso and head. So for this one, they basically combined the Red Hulk with a harpy look. And I didn't know that, so I was just like, yeah. all right, she's apparently got some bird features. So I yeah. got to check and in with Roman on They find these, like, red feathers on, at the remains of her house. And so then <laughs> the big, I guess, thing in this issue – now, everybody, if you're not reading this book, you should read it. Mm-hmm. You Like, we keep talking about it for a reason. It keeps selling out for a reason. It's an unbelievably good book. It's also, like, the issue just going up in price. There's no reason that just the standard cover should be a $10 book on eBay, but it consistently is. So people, check this book out. If you're from Bellingham, come to our shop, get the paperbacks, wherever you're at. Um, but we're following Doc Sampson and Bruce this whole time. And then what is it that happens at the end here? We get a shot of Bruce, and it looks like it's not Bruce. Yeah. Um, and sorry, folks, this is going to be a major spoiler. It's, it's a major uh, spoiler, but it's also not like an earth-shattering thing. No, no it's on. not earth-shattering. I mean, you, you, if you're a longtime Hulk fan, it was to be expected at some point. Um, I just love how clever it is, this trap they fall in, because it's artificial, artificial sunlight, basically, which forces Hulk to forces him back into being Bruce Banner, so he's helpless. Um, and yes, yeah, uh, the last page, I mean, Bruce has his eyes closed. He kind of looks up, and he hasn't physically changed, but his eyes are gray. And the way he's talking, it's it's uh, it's Joe Fix-It, the gray Hulk that was a Vegas bouncer. So... Who is that? Who is Joe Fixit? <laughs> um, is that a, it, that's the Gray Hulk? Is it Bruce? Originally, was it Bruce's body, but a different personality, or is it an entirely physically different person? It's it's a different manifestation. That because originally the Hulk was gray for the first six or first issue, actually. Right. I mean, um, but the Joe Fixit isn't that Gray Hulk because that because that original Gray Hulk was. Kind of, you know, brainless and and more savage. Joe Fixit is a clever kind of street levels, like street smart Hulk. He's not quite as powerful as any of the other Hulks. He's a little smaller, but he was gray and and not Banner. He was, you know, bulky and everything. He he was like an Edward G. Robinson Hulk. But did, <laughs> and I don't know who that is. But did he? Ah, uh, you know, you know, Edward G. Robinson. Yeah, that's ah, yeah, crazy. See, did <laughs> is he occupying the same body as Bruce and the Hulk? And he's like a different personality, it or looks is he like a different it. person? Like original? Oh no, was no, it? it was yeah, it was just somebody Bruce would change into another Hulk manifestation. Oh, okay, okay. And it looks like in this, though, before he would always physically change. It looks like this, just his face is slightly changed. It seems like, and his eyes have gone gray. And it doesn't sound like Bruce anymore, so it's Joe Fix-It, but I, I'm guessing because of this artificial sunlight, he can't change fully into Joe except the Joe Fix-It personality has taken over. Okay, so I was worried – I was not worried, but I was thinking like, okay, is this a different physical person and like where is Bruce? But no, it looks like there's yeah, – and it plays into like the disassociative identity disorder. Yeah. Like maybe, you know, yeah, kind of – Yeah, I guess in those terms it would be one of the alters. Yeah, and actually this is even a lot like Split or Mr. Glass in that that flash of bright light brought out a different personality. Maybe oh. this like sort of forcing yeah. of sunlight and, you know, him oh. not being able to become the Hulk is causing this personality to come yeah, out. Yeah, I hadn't caught that, but yeah. Yeah, that kind of trigger. Okay, so you're excited yeah. about that. I, I, I am excited because Joe Fixit came out, I think, in, I don't know, late 80s. I think Todd McFarlane was drawing the yeah, Hulk yeah, then. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he was I like this the rough and tumble, but he was a gangster Hulk. 
you know, he would wear suits and a fedora and kind of like a 30s or 40s gangster. And he was a bouncer in Vegas, but he'd also run into other Marvel heroes sometimes. There's that, like, famous cover of Wolverine, like, in their first, like, 10 issues where it's, like, Wolverine patch, like, standing Hmm. there with Joe Fixit Hulk. Yeah. And they're, like, suited out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So he was a very clever, uh, tough guy, gangster Hulk. Okay. (laughs) How weird, man. So Al Ewing is, like incorporating the entire history of the Hulk into these 16 issues. Like, he's got that harpy aspect of Betty. He's got Joe Fixit in here. He's got Doc Samson. Like, to get that all-encompassing of a, you know, a historic, the history of a character in 16 issues is astounding. Yeah, and it's all done so well. None of it feels forced. I mean, that was a surprise. I didn't think we saw Joe Fixit again. I wonder when, like, the Abomination is going to show up at some point. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure we'll get Thunderbolt Ross back at some point, too. Yeah, yeah, since he was a Red Hulk, he'll come back. Yeah. Which ties into kind of things going on with Captain America right now, that storyline in his book. What's going on with him yeah. and Captain America? Um, well, that's the book where he got killed, and they, and he was killed by a villain called the Foreigner, which I think Baron Zemo okay. set that up. Yeah. But they used it to frame Steve Rogers for murdering Thunderbolt Ross, which is why Steve Rogers is in prison right now, in a prison ran by Zemo. It's a Hydra prison, basically. Okay. Sure. (laughs) Sure. And yeah, if Ross shows up alive again, that'll help exonerate Steve. So, you know, we don't want to, you know, we've talked about a bunch of this book, but uh, you're excited for this part going forward? Joe Fixit's back? Yeah, yeah, and and it's, it's, yeah, and that last page really surprised me, and I still didn't quite get it, but then when they say it's Joe, I was like, oh, wow, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Where's this going? Yeah, this book is so good. It's like it comes out often. We're getting it every yeah. two or three weeks, which is really rad. And it doesn't feel like it's too forced, but it's always feels like getting your dessert before your dinner when you're when you get it on a week of comics. Yeah, and I actually went home on Tuesday night with, with our new books and I forgot to grab this, and I was really disappointed because I was like, oh, and I, you know, I could have, I was lazy. I could have come down here and got it. But but I was like, oh, man, I have to put it off. And in fact, I don't think I read it till Thursday. Oh, oh, oh. Gosh. And it's um, my favorite title. What you, it's your favorite book coming out right now? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Nice. Yeah. It's right up there with Kaiju Max and... Heroes in Crisis. Or... No, Heroes in Crisis. Yeah. And Conan. <laughs> God, Conan's well, up there? Con- well, Conan, not Not always. Okay. This this week's issue was, but we'll get Jesus. to that. Jesus. Okay, what do you give this issue? <laughs> oh, man. I'll give this issue. Oh, golly. And it's got this beautiful cover of the Hulk and the Moon. It's so romantic. Oh, man. I give it an I, eight. It's still, it's one of my favorite books coming out yeah. right now. This was, you know, I didn't get a lot of the stuff, but it, it didn't feel like I was out of my depth. Yeah, and that's really cool. That's so well crafted. That's what, that, yeah, it's really that, impressive. That he can do, the writer, Ewing can do that and not make somebody feel that way. I'm going to have to do it. I'm going to have to give it a 10. There's, no, there's nothing in this book I didn't like. <laughs> Look at that gooey duck on a table. Man, that's crazy. Okay, yeah. first book out of the cage. Lo- loved 10. it all. He surprised me. Gosh. Surprise. Um, let's move it on to War of the Realms number one. Jason Aaron, Russell Dowderman, Matt Wilson on colors. This is the big Marvel event right now. I don't know that it's going to be able to follow up after Immortal Hulk number one getting the gooey duck. Do you, but... do you think this is the Marvel event for the year? Man, I don't know. That's a good question because they used to try to do one yearly summer event. And then it just got so – they were making so much money off doing it. They were kind of 
at any given time there was an event coming out. It seems like yeah. the the high point was like when it's like Secret Empire and Civil War Two came out like just back to back, and it was like, man, I can't keep ordering all of these comic books like we're having all these events like people didn't want them we didn't want to order them we couldn't feel confident about the numbers so it's been a while since we've had a big one that infinity wars one was like a small event but it was happening uh in the last year but i feel like this is this is certainly the biggest event we've had in quite a while like where everything's tying into it and i personally think that it lived up to that to an extent. I've talked to yeah. some other people that weren't necessarily super hyped on it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how Django felt about it, but uh, I liked it a lot. I did too. And, and I was so glad to see Russell Donnerman back in Asgard and oh. drawing all these characters because I just love his art. Yeah, it was a bummer. I haven't been reading the main Thor book for like the eight or nine issues. No, it's ten issues now that have come out because I'm not a huge fan of Mike Del Mundo's art, and yeah. I miss Doubterman so much. But I think that it's. I think he's spent the last, you know, since Jane Foster died, died. Uh, I think that he's been working on this book since then. So I think that that's why it's going to come out probably pretty timely. Um, I think he's pretty good about getting books out. Also, he doesn't seem to be super slowed down. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't seem like it. Yeah, and I miss him on Thor because I'm still reading it because it's still Jason Aaron writing it, but and I love these characters, but yeah, it's it really, I feel the lack of Dodderman. Yeah, so I think that when Jason Aaron started his Thor run, like I think this was kind of always envisioned as, if not the last thing he was going to do in it, I think it was always envisioned as as kind of a big story he was going to tell, and it's been seeded. You know, even as far back as whatever that original series was, Thor: God of Thunder. Yeah, it's been being seeded with the Malekith stuff and these the realms imploding and, and this sort of manipulation by Malekith. So in this one, we sort of see all of that coming forward, and the other nine realms have all fallen and crumbled to this war. And I haven't again been reading all of those, but people, um, I think that this is a great place to jump in. You yeah, know, like like me, I haven't followed up all those stories and I didn't feel super lost at all. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I felt that, I mean, it's some of the, what I was aware of, but it felt like, excuse me, you could just jump right in, read this. And you know, it, it gives you what you need to know, which is basically what you just said. The other nine realms have fallen. Now the war has come to Midgard earth and, uh, we have to survive against it and the heroes all have to defend against it. So it starts with this, I think really well done scene of Thor being all mopey sad Thor because he doesn't have uh, Mjolnir who broke and flew into the sun at the end of the Jane Foster stuff. So he's been sadly throwing hammers out into the infinite void of space hoping one's going to come back with answers or, or something. But he then has Loki show up just haggard and... Uh, some dark elf assassins come to to try and take him down, and he fights them off. And then Loki, he says, "Loki, bring me to Malekith." And and just as he's doing that, the Thori dog is. How, how long has Thori been in it? Has it just been in this most recent he stuff? He showed up. Yeah, in the recent stuff, I think he actually showed up in the Thor. The unworthy miniseries. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and that, and the and I and I love the fact that Thor's throwing been throwing these hammers because 
Malkith had destroyed the Rainbow Bridge so Thor could no longer get to any of the mm. other realms to, to participate in the battle. Was it Malkith that destroyed the Rainbow Bridge? Or was that the big Kirby monster who named Oh, it was Mangog. Mangog, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but I think Malkith manipulated that somewhat. Um, I'm just super into Thori the dog. It's such yeah. a cute, sweet little dog. <laughs> he is great. Um, I'm glad they kept him around. And he sniffed and detected that. that... Yeah, and, and of course... Bonehead Thor doesn't listen to his dog because the dog sniffs and tries to tell him, starts to say, Master Thor, you think? Because Thor always refers to himself in third person. Third puppy. <laughs> third puppy. But Thor doesn't listen. And uh, we get this awesome shot of Thor being taken to the Citadel of Utgard in Jotunheim, the frost giant land. And uh, it's Loki <laughs> is in this very, even more feminine than normal Loki pose where he's licking his own blood off these knives. I think that's a real yeah, these knives sexy shot. pulled of out of himself. It, is. it um, is. And I like how Dodderman, he doesn't make him look exactly like um, the actor. Hiddleston. Yeah. But it, but you can see Hiddleston's face in that's there. That's exactly I how like I that. felt. Yeah, it's yeah. not quite exactly... Anyway, that becomes Malekith, and it's an ambush for Thor, who's now stuck in the Frost Giant realm. But I do want to yep. come back to that for a second. Um, it's so interesting that we have old, like, it's always been an old Loki. He's been an old man mm. forever. Yeah. And then, you know, six or eight years ago, Kieran Gillen de-aged him to be a child. And that was for its own totally separate purpose. But in the eight years or whatever that that's happened, he's aged up to being young boyish, young manish looking Loki, and he's able to be drawn so much like Hiddleston, the actor. And I think that I, that can't have been planned for 10 years, right? Oh, yeah, like, you wouldn't think so, no. But it's so fortuitous that that story thing has allowed Loki to become a character that is youthful and identifiable and attractive. You know, like it's, that's that's weird to me that he was an old man forever, and because of a twist of events, like it now fits so well with the cinematic universe, but it doesn't feel like it was planned. Yeah, it doesn't. And and Jason Aaron, I think, wrote something about, I forget at what point, but about there being kind of a these different incarnations of Loki all along Loki's own personal timeline, since he can also travel through space and time, that eventually this Loki is going to become the old, cranky, awful, crone Loki in a way but this Loki doesn't want that to happen. Right. <laughs> but it's kind of faded. But so then we get, uh, as things progress forward, we get this awesome moment where everyone in New York and all over the Marvel Universe kind of detects that something bad is about to happen. And there's this moment where it's just a shot of Greenwich, the Sanctum Santorum, and Doctor Strange gets all freaked out. And the man without fear stifles a shudder and uh, Wolverine's in a bar drinking and the punish. Like, there's this moment where everyone sort of just, like stops for a second and is like, oh shit, something bad's about to happen. And there's this amazing double page spread of all hell breaking loose in Times Square, just like this huge crack. And into, like, into Midgard comes frost giants and trolls and dark elves and flame beasts and evil angels and they're all battling amongst themselves but it's all it's just like watching this crazy frothy pot boil over all over the stove and you've got this huge <laughs> mess on your hands and uh all the heroes unite to try and stop stop these guys and then you know Malekith uh, comes forth that his angry crew and the avengers assemble to try and Okay. Fight him. Uh, just I'm going to rub real quick. And what thing cool and those, they all burst force through that crack. I like the way how Dodderman did the panel borders because mm -hmm. it's all erratic and kind of like 
it it kind of frames this chaos of sudden war. But it's like panes of glass breaking, yeah. like the the sturdy fabric of reality is shattering all around us. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, I don't want to spoil it, but there's a wonderful death scene in this that I think was really well done. Uh, somebody gets yeah. crunched. There's there's well there's a couple. Yeah, in the beginning true. there's a death scene. Yeah, but and it all sort of. Ends with Stor- Thor is thuck, stuck in the the stuck. I- frost. <laughs> he's stuck, stuck. He's uh, stuck in the frost giant place, and he's just spinning motherfucking hammers <laughs> all around. He's covered in blue That's blood. Such and an awesome Thor and, scene. Yeah, and he's just being descended upon by all these frost giants, and and he's uh, twirling two hammers at once. Oh, it's so, so cool. Fucking rad and. That's a real quick rundown of this one very <laughs> yeah. large issue that yeah. is beautifully illustrated, and it had a sense of urgency, and it had a sense of importance and immediacy and, and danger and yeah. magnitude that has not been even – I can't think of a Marvel event that's felt like this. Maybe as far back as like Avengers versus X-Men hmm. where everybody was getting a dab with the Phoenix Force and like they were kind of manipulating all of it. Like, this makes sense that every book needs to tie into this. It's this big thing. Yeah, yeah, it actually does. And this issue too, I mean, you sometimes with big events you see characters that are, oh, there's the Daredevil panel and he says, he's saying something very Daredevil-y. In this, you know, Spider-Man sounds like Spider-Man. It's all natural and it fits. You know, Cap, same thing. Freya, everybody's in there and everybody, it just works. They sound good. And I love that Freya has been the all-mother, you know, yeah. since since uh, Odin got taken down back back in the Jane Foster stuff and she's such a badass and there's great Spider-Man quips and yeah I love the fact when Captain America and who's they've never him and Freya have never actually met but they've just in the midst of battle kind of are near each other and they're just like so respectful to each other and, and Cap knows she's the all mother and uses her title and everything I was like I love little bits like that and I'll mention that the whole Nine Realms, the Thor mythology, all of that stuff has has never really appealed to me. I don't I don't love it. I don't love fantasy stuff. And this hit all of the right things for me. So if you are skeptical about this book, if it doesn't sound exactly like your thing, I still think it's worth checking out. It it's so Marvel Comics that it mm. it, it doesn't feel like we're off in, you know, these other lands doing all this stuff. Um Asgard, like we're we're on Earth, and if you like superheroes and not fantasy, this is still very much superheroes. So I would, yeah. I would recommend everyone check it out. I think the art alone is worth it. I, I, I love the art, man. Yeah, the art alone. I mean, Dodderman, the way this is the first time, like, uh, the beans from uh, the beans, 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 <laughs> coffee beans. Mm. No, no, the creature, the beans, the creatures Ooh, from uh, <laughs> from Surtur's realm. From the fire realm, this is the first time they've looked scary. They're terrifying. Yeah. The way he draws these like Chaotic. fire demon yeah. things that are very kind of formless in a way, but they're just nasty. Yeah, big, dumb, fun. I liked it a lot. I'm trying to be a little bit more, trying to get my books a little bit more uh, scores crossed in the whole number range. So I'm gonna give this one uh, an eight. I really liked it. I think it's really good. I think people should check it out. I'm, I'm pretty excited to read this whole thing. And Jason Aaron's a wizard. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, the whole idea of Daredevil's going to get Heimdall's powers, at least temporarily, and I'm thrilled with that. Yeah, is that uh, what it is? Okay. Yeah, yeah he's got this, I mean, which doesn't happen this issue, but 
some of the promo stuff and him he's on the back cover with like cosmic awareness yeah stars on him it's become because Heimdall is injured and Daredevil and he takes can his place. see like all things Heimdall can right yeah, like he, he can, can see, see and sense I mean he he can that's hear, awesome to have Daredevil he can hear a sigh that. like on Jupiter and <laughs> oh that's perfect for Daredevil <laughs> yeah um I'll give this a nine yeah I really dug this this was so much fun well I'm very <laughs> glad to be talking to you about it then yeah. Uh, Nice. No dissenting opinions here. Everyone loves War of the Realms. Yes. Let's move on to another thing that we like a lot. I finally got caught up with The Green Lantern by Grant Morrison and Liam Sharp and uh, Steve Olaf on Colors. Roman, you've been caught up on this this whole time. You've been you've, you've stayed on it. I don't know I why I fell behind because Grant Morrison's my favorite guy. Well, you know, stuff happens. Stuff happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Foy, <laughs> Um And this has one of Justin's favorite characters and a character of yours that you love a lot, Adam Strange. Adam Strange, the Earth Man that that falls in love with the alien princess on Ran. And this this book is so imaginative. And fun, and Liam Sharp's art is really incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like this book. It felt really good to be caught up on on this particular series. Grant, or, uh, Hal Jordan's just been being undercover bad guy trying to infiltrate the Black Stars, which is this evil organization that Monitor Mew. Uh, Grand Monitor Mew has been uh, he's trying to basically stop all of reality and Hal Jordan was sent in by the Guardians to go infiltrate this the contr- you know the controller and we get this great standoff sequence where he's gonna you know he's trying to convince him that he's a bad guy so he's gotta kill Adam Strange and it looks like maybe he killed Adam Strange and yeah I don't know what'd you think buddy? Yeah the Guardians have placed Hal as a like secret agent in the in the Black Stars which is in case people were confused, like I was at the beginning of the series, it's they're the Dark Stars. It's the same uniforms, and these are were the Dark Stars, and whoever Moo or whoever renamed them Black Stars because it sounds cooler, which it does. I mean, that's the only reason they gave for the change. And yeah, it is. I really, <laughs> I really liked it. The pages where Hal Jordan and Adam Strange like do their, um, you know, twenty paces and turn and fired or duel. I just noticed that it's it's. You can tell he's influenced by Neil Adams, mm. or especially Hal's pose there. You're That's sure a totally right. like Adams pose. And his like faces and heads, yeah, yeah. and yeah. hair. Yeah, and it's very, it's a very well paced duel. Um, and I guess the thing that I liked about this is it was it did what Grant Morrison does so well, which is the final. So, you know, not not much of a spoiler. Uh, Hal Jordan infiltrates the group and saves the day. And there's this giant explosion and everything works out. But he disappears for a while. And we get this shot where he's in a place where, it, I don't know, it doesn't, he might have lost his memory. Was that what you thought? Um, just refreshing myself right now. Where is he? Yeah, he seems like he's looking for direction. And he's in this sort of emerald infinite land. And there's this sign and yeah. in the Emerald Sands, and we are introduced to this weird, like, Django in 50 <laughs> years looking green wizard set, uh, who his name is Mirwadin. Mirwadin, yeah. And yeah. that was just uh, like, nobody really makes me Google shit <laughs> like Grant Morrison like Grant does. Morrison. So I spent like 35 minutes going through all these different Wikipedia entries and the history of Mirwadin and who it is and what it is. And he is this 
old ancient wizard who has very strong magical powers, but in order for them to be in effect, he has to speak in rhyme. And he had been trapped, shrunk down into the the ring of power by Aben Sir originally. And he spent a whole bunch of time regaining his powers in this micro green emerald universe uh, to be able to kill Aben Sir. And by the time that he finally got enough power to do that, Aben Sir had died in the ring and been passed to Hal. And Hal had to fight him and he goes into the ring to fight him. He silences him for a while. He extracted him from the ring. He gets put into the giant central battery on Oa, and then the Mad Guardian was doing some experimenting with some soul stuff, and he was extracted, and we haven't seen him or heard of him in quite a while. Yeah. Yeah, because I had to look him up, too, because I was like, this is familiar, but I didn't remember who exactly he was. So that's your Mirrorwood End history lesson, courtesy Jeff, because Grant Morrison made him. Yeah, so apparently, you know, Hal is is in the ring, in his own ring, I guess, um, with Mirrorwood End. And Mirrodin's going to use him to escape. So, okay, obviously he's in the ring now. I didn't just think about that, but you're right. They're in the ring. I was like, where is he? But yeah, you're right. It zooms in on the ring. Yeah. You're right. Fuck. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh yeah. So actually, that, that's nice how the artwork there um, creates a sort of – Yeah, you oh, see a planetscape wow. within the ring, but there's no planet outside of the ring. So, I, yeah. I thought it was a reflection, but you're right. Like – Liam Sharp does a really interesting thing where if you know that Mirrodin is in the ring, you, you realize that this ring is glowing and it zooms in on it, and then there's just sort of a reflection of the arc of a planet on the side of it, and we go into yeah. that. Man, it's a depressing place inside that ring. It is. It looks pretty awful, and and I and I think in some ways Mirrodin is – maybe I'm just thinking of this because of the storyline in Justice League, but he's kind of Green Lantern's Batmite or Mixapitalik. <laughs> is he – it almost seems like he's a part of that race or something. Almost physically. I don't know if he is or maybe Morrison's going to retroactively connect them all maybe. Yeah. I just love that we're living in this age where writers are doing that. Like Al Ewing with Immortal Hulk or Morrison with Mirror Within and, and Green Lantern. Like we are doing these deep dives on histories and it's not all about, you know – I love Donnie Cates and, and that type of writer, but yeah. there's a lot of like new creators or businesses creating new people or, you know, spoilers, we've got Liefeld's major X here in a bit. But it's just, um, I love new stuff, but I also like taking an old concept and dusting it off and, and making it interesting again. Yeah, yeah, I was reading something recently about uh, comic, comic creation and somebody, maybe it was about Shazam, but somebody was talking about how that's, what keeps all these characters going and going because, you know, if the same creative team wrote, you know, Shazam or Green Lantern or whatever for, you know, 10 years and it's just the same thing over and over and over and this, even if they mean well, it's going to peter out eventually because sure. there's no, there's no it just time. stagnates creatively. So, yeah, and, and, you know, it's one of the cool things about comics, about these yeah. characters, why they're always going to exist. So I thought that the issue itself was pretty good but the ending got me pretty excited. Um yeah, I'm gonna give this one a seven. It, it, it ignited my my juices, got them flowing. I'm it put me on an information hole, and I can't wait to see what he does. Made me learn more about comics by piquing mm. my interest. Yeah, and he's got like some kind of sock puppet coming up. Maybe Mirrodin has is like darning, stitching a sock. Is that what's when going Hal on? shows up, oh, and then yeah. the sock is on his hand? So I guess he's got some kind of sock puppet familiar. So who knows? <laughs> um, I'll give it a I'll give it an eight. Yeah, I really dug it. Um, and and the main cover I got the variant here, but the main cover is really cool on that one too. 
Yeah, they're both good. Yeah, yeah. that good Adam Strange. Yeah, it's just classic it came comic in, sci-fi. And it says, the ring of power versus a blaster. And Roman was like, <laughs> oh, that's no contest at all. The ring of power would win. And you're like, well, of course, Roman. Um, all right, Roman, we got one of uh, two books that? that only you have read. But I need you to sell oh. me on the most manly, and I apologize, everybody, but I am pretty sick and getting sicker the longer this day has gone on. Oh, oh. Sad. Uh, so I apologize for how ill I sound. I'm riding a real nice NyQuil high here. <laughs> Got my toes in the far. Um, Conan, you know, I've been thinking about Conan the Barbarian a lot lately because we've, we've been have. reading it. And you had asked me like a couple podcasts ago, you know, why, why do I like him so much? It was the last time it was just you and I actually. It was Okay, yeah, yeah, that one. And I've been thinking about that question ever since because oh. it's really intrigued me because – you know, even as soon as I saw the cover of this issue, issue number five of Conan the Barbarian, the main title. It's um, a fucking good cover. It's a great cover. There's like Just storm crotch to- shot of Conan. Yeah. Storm toss sees Conan's a crotch shot there. He's in the prow of a ship holding on to the, the, the utter, utter? The rudder. Rudder? Rudder. Rudder is like <laughs> a giant like cow, cow yeah. Yeah. That's an Apple. Asgardian thing. Um, <laughs> I think it's just a cow thing. <laughs> and, he, and he's got... Some wounds, and there's a bunch of dead guys laying there in front of him. So it turns out this issue is about he's alone on this ship, and it says in flashback he uh, he stole this idol. It's it's looks like it's some kind of like Cthulian Lovecraftian thing, and he gets on board a ship, which is then attacked to take the idol someplace where he can sell it. Um, ship's attacked by pirates, taken over by pirates. Conan fights them all. Blood gets spilled on the idol. Uh-oh. Which makes something bad happen. Conan, wake, yeah, Conan wakes up. Everybody around him is savagely killed, and not by a sword. By they've been torn apart and Ooh. terrible stuff. And then these tentacles Ooh. rise out of the water, and Conan has to fight those off. Just the tentacles? Yeah, he never sees what they're attached to. Well, you see a glimpse of like this row of this circle of teeth in the background, but you don't know. You, it's not clear what it is. Something Lovecraftian, um, and. Then it ends up uh, everybody's been killed except Conan on this ship. He starts throwing the bodies overboard. And one of the things I like about Conan, he's not just – this started to answer my question why the appeal of him. He's not just this macho, incredibly powerful, like like barbarian character. He, when he st- starts throwing bodies overboard, he doesn't mention it, but the art shows it. He's smart enough to put on gloves and wrap his arms in, in cloth and cover his mouth and nose because he knows they're infected by whatever this idol has awoken. Um, it so, doesn't it, mention that? It just artistically? No, it just shows it artistically. Hmm. Um, his narration is just talking about how, you know, he saw their wounds were black and festering. So, you know, he figured out quickly that they're infect, infected with something. Yeah, and it just shows throughout this storyline. So then Conan figures out, well, I can't throw the bodies overboard because it's going to get more mutated, horrible sea creatures after me. So then he's stuck on this ship with these rotten, festering bodies in the hold. There's food in the hold, but that's been infected. He can't eat that because he finds out in the middle of the night he gets attacked by a mutated rat that okay. chewed on one of the bodies. So so he's like, God, I can't eat anything. He can't get rid of the bodies. It smells horrible. He's hungry. And he's hot as fuck. Yeah, and this eventually the, the uh, sails are all destroyed, so he's just drifting. And he's been out here for like, I don't know, a week at least now, a week and a half. Um, <clears throat> and he starts going a little nuts um, just how because he starts talking to his sword. 
And uh, I love here hear how he told um, told the sword his darkest secrets, his deepest unspoken truths, his dreams and desires. He told it he was afraid, but you know, Conan never admits that. And there were times late at night when the sea was still and the creaking ship was went silent as death, that Conan, alone in the cold, wet darkness, shivering and starving, was certain beyond a doubt he could hear the sword talk back. And the panel that shows as that, that narration happens, it just focuses in on his eyes. And you only see one blue eye clearly, but he's looking at the sword hilt like, you know, maybe it is talking back to him. And then, and then some other pirates show up, and he decides that's his salvation. But it establishes his relationship here that, you know, this is his sword is kind of his familiar. Because he says, to hell with the gods. All he needs is you. And he's looking at the sword. Hmm. Um, and then he attacks the pirates, and somehow <laughs> he uh, kills, like, a third of them and the captain. And at that point, the remaining pirates are like, oh, okay, you can be our captain now. Just stop killing us. And somehow he does this when he's been starving and half mad and and being attacked and not getting any sleep because of mutated rats. So this feels like pretty much a one-shot issue. It kind of is a self-contained issue, but it's part of a, li- a larger story, this big okay. one that relates to when he becomes a king later. But um, this issue, I, I was kind of like, you know, that's what's so appealing about Conan and like other superheroes. You know, you, you read this and – it's the fun part of the fantasy going, God, I wouldn't it be cool? I wish I had the the strength, the being formidable enough to survive like say of two weeks or whatever on this ship with no food and disease everywhere and That's all this. That's not a thought that ever occurs to me. Well Fuck, change the I change sure the details. <laughs> change the details of whatever, you know, test of yourself. Um and, you know, this is just an obvious metaphor for that trying to survive survive and to have that strength. I think that's the appeal of it. Not to be a, you know, macho, sword-wielding idiot, but to have the the brains to figure out how to survive in some kind of horrible situation like that. Yeah, as that. you were talking about it, maybe sort of picture if, you know, like Superman is like the the extreme ideal, you know? But he's also kind of only the extreme ideal of one culture or one type of yeah. person. So if you took the Uberman ideal and instead of viewing it as like the extreme height of it, you look at it as like a clock and he's, you know, there's the center of a clock and, you know, maybe 12 noon is Superman in one culture, but that same person is, is exemplified by a different culture of maybe like three o'clock, mm. you know, like it's the same thing, but it's all in just sort of a radius outward that is expressed in lots of different ways, but it's all the same distance from the center. It's all the same yeah. extreme man type, but it's, you know, for one culture, it's over here top left for another culture it's over here far right and it's all the same thing but like you know cultures are different not everybody has the same moral and physical idea you know extreme of what is the best and this is that for other people and sometimes it's grim and sometimes it's burly as fuck or brutal as fuck but that doesn't mean that it's any less just because he's not out there trying to talk somebody down off of a building from committing suicide doesn't mean he's not doing this extreme thing he's still the highest form of this thing yeah 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 oh that's an excellent breakdown because yeah i mean superman created by a couple young jewish american guys you know in the late 30s um, as their Uberman, Conan was created by a young Texan guy lived in rural Texas exactly. with, with, you know, taking care of his sick mom and his fantasies. He was raised on pulp and he wrote for the pulps. That's what Conan was created. And I for. love the idea of just, you know, 
I want to hear the Superman story from all these different cultures. I want to hear yeah. about it in, you know, Japan. And I guess anime kind of does that. Or East Africa. I want to do it. You know, I want to hear about yeah. it in, in Antarctica. People don't live there, I guess. Penguins, what's your super story? Yeah. <laughs> so what's your score? Um, boy, this particular issue, I'll, man, this will get another eight. Wow. I, I really dug this issue. Hell yeah. And yeah, I, I dig your, your analysis of well, that. Well, it's just the image you gave me while you were talking about it. Mm, mm. Roman, I took a I took a little dip into the waters of Ahoy Comics this week, which I keep trying to do because you're you've been just super into them. So this week we got the first issue of Bronze Age Boogie. This one's by Stuart Moore, Alberto Ponticelli, or Morissette, um, on art and colors by Lee Luridge and Guilia Brusco. Wow, uh, bad radio. <laughs> um, and gosh, I don't know that I. Well, I really liked the art in it. I think the art was really, really well done in it. But this seemed like a real fucking Roman book. <laughs> Sorry, my mouth's full of Skittles. You got a mouthful of Skittles <laughs> over there. It, it, it is. I mean, even from the first page with, with the Doc Lunar and Go-Go Gollum, which is a Gollum basically a, a, out of, I don't know, D&D or something, but she's wearing a 60s Go-Go out, short skirt and Go-Go boots. And Madame Ape, which unfortunately, because of the Umbrella Academy show, everybody's going to be like, "Oh, rip it off Umbrella I Academy." I thought but... <laughs> that that looked a lot like Umbrella Academy. But yeah, but it's but older than that, which Umbrella Academy got it from goofy '60s, '70s comics where their apes were everywhere. But yeah, this is a Roman. There's a book. whole planet of them. There, there's a whole planet of them. There's a planet of those guys. They have wars and conquests and ah, returns. And... That sounds like kind of like that thing that monkey says in this book. <laughs> um. It's just a crazy, wild book because you start off with that in 1975, then you're back in prehistory or something with a warring tribe against like zombie dinosaurs and mastodons and giant apes and ghouls and stuff. And But strangely enough, there's a woman here who uh, is using 70s terms. Like sit on it, potsy. Okay, so okay. Se- no, she's so she's from the seventies. That was one of my complaints <laughs> was that she kept using terms that were from the seventies or something. Like she was talking like she didn't fit in. So maybe I just didn't have the patience to get this book. Yeah, because they don't. I'm trying to find it now. I don't think they actually ever reveal why. She's using these phrases and phraseology and words from the 70s. Well, she's been talking to this – it's revealed after the battle that she's been talking to this monkey who yeah. is from the future. And yeah, she's been hearing these the stories future. from him. So maybe she oh, has – so maybe she picked it up from him. Gathered these linguistic cues from him. Okay. I, I, yeah, could be. I was thinking she's from the future too and just doesn't remember it. Okay. In fact, I was going to ask you when she makes that – when her dad hugs her, who's apparently the king here or whatever – Hugs her. She says, this cracked me up. She says, don't squeeze the Charmin, okay? And I realized, wow, that's a really dated 70s reference. Man, Roman, talking to you so often is just you saying a thing that's a really dated reference. (laughs) So that's why I was like, this book is for Roman, a bunch of shit that I don't get. It very much is. Charmin was a a toilet paper brand. Oh, I know that. And it's still a toilet paper brand, but it's got a bear. Okay. Is there a bear now? Oh, is yeah. the bear the Charmin now? I think so. Because in the 70s, it was this cute little guy, Mr. Whipple, who would always wag his finger at people because they were always squeezing the toilet paper rolls in the grocery store because they were so soft. And he'd like, don't squeeze the Charmin. Dude, that was like <laughs> – this podcast is even like an hour and 15 minutes. That was like 30 seconds, <laughs> man. You got to – that was 
Think about our listeners. Think about how they want to know this information. Do they? <laughs> sure. Or we got to sure. feel bad for those guys sure. and no, girls. No, no. They, they, they'll, they'll appreciate that. Okay. Write in and tell us if you appreciated the Don't Squeeze the Charmin explanation. No one writes in anymore. Oh, <laughs> damn. You Emails. are from the 70s. You're just Email stuck us. There. Facebook us. It was the best era ever. Oof. Look at that hair. Look at that afro. I'm okay. <laughs> I think the art was really, really nice in this. It just, it. It was a little bit hard to get at and get through, and the language didn't fit. And I think that it does have to do with the overarching story of sort of time displacement here. But, you know, we basically just got a girl in a barbarian land with zombie dinosaurs who wins a battle and hangs out with a monkey that is from a different time. Sell me on it. Sell me on it. And the monkey starts starts revealing that stuff, and then the aliens, these steampunky aliens show up in their prehistory Viking days or whatever, start killing people. And earlier the monkey had just given her one of his treasures from the future, and it's a little disco ball. The disco ball starts starts glowing, and she's teleported out of there. But unfortunately, the little monkey dude who is from the future is left there behind. And she appears in, I think, I'm assuming some big cities, maybe it's New York, Times Square. And she sees a woman that she'd had a vision of earlier. Um and then we flash back to our beginning people, the Gogo Gollum and the Madame Ape and everything. And they're they've got some somehow this is all gonna tie together. Um and it's gonna tie together with Jackson Lee, Master of Martial Arts, and Linda Dark, which is totally okay, that's a seventies sorceress name. It's yeah. Be. I'm 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 intrigued. I'm this is fun. I did like the final couple of panels where the female monkey has got the golem and she says, "Well, these are hard times and it is Saturday night. So let's dance." I'm like that's a good <laughs> And their disco ball lights up. Yeah. yeah, rainbow colors. Yeah, I think this will be a fun series. I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense yet, but I'm fine with that. It's it's going to be cool and fun and use all these 1975 tropes and and I mean, you got the crazy hippie burnout scientist doctor, the ape, the kung fu guy. And that's what I mean by no one loves comics like Roman Statler loves <laughs> comics because he's just like, I think it's going to be fun, so I'm going to keep reading it. And I'm like, yeah, the art was good, and I think they did some nice effects with the magic ripples, look like sort of deep web dreaming effects, and, and there's some great city destruction stuff, and it looks a little bit like Nick Patara. But I wasn't drawn to the characters, and the plot wasn't interesting enough for me to want to keep reading. So I would give it a 4.5, but there was a backup story that oh. was <laughs> two, four, six, seven pages long, <coughs> and I liked it very much. Yeah? About, about Ursa Major? <laughs> Ursa Major, like NASA is basically, instead of a, it's the NASA logo, but instead of a rocket going around the moon, it's like just a bear paw, and there, <laughs> there's this jerk military guy and this awesome female doctor and they're going to send somebody to sp- like uh, an animal to space but instead of using a monkey they're doing this bear and this bear is this big cute bear in a space suit and he can't speak English and they're so nice he's playing with his big old cosmic solar system model and they're going to send him into space in his cool space suit and the guy's going to be a big jerk to him but then it runs into like a weird solar field and some bad stuff happens and, like, crazy radiation waves and then the spaceship starts crashing back to Earth and then it blows up and he gets out, the big bear, and says, wow, that was one hell of a ride. <laughs> but the bear was drawn so adorably. He was. I mean, God, he's, he's, so, he's so emotive. 
yeah, he was so emotive. I think it's, it's a testament to the art, and I guess yeah. that, man, I really just discredited myself entirely because I was like, well, Roman loves comics and blah, 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 and it just wasn't interesting enough for me, but you put a big bear <laughs> in a spacesuit, and fuck me, I'm in. <laughs> um, but that's what happened. I, I love look at the look of the bear's face when she's putting this getting the spacesuit on him and he's putting his gloves on and so he's just cute his eyebrows sad. are all raised. He's he like, what's me going of my on? Cats. Oh. Yeah, when the solar thing happens and just the the scared look on his face as his visor starts to crack. I mean, I was like, oh, bear. <laughs> Poor bear. So I would give the backup a 7 or a 6.5. 6.5 to a 7, you get the first half of 4.5 because it just didn't really interest me. But I'll keep reading that backup story because look at that bear. Yeah. Oh, man. Ahoy. I'm so impressed with Ahoy. So what do you give the whole thing? Oh. I'll give I'll, – the first story, I mean, I got to admit, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. I like this character, Bree, um, the main character. I'll give it a – I'll give it a 7.5 overall. If it was just the first story, I'd give it a seven, but that backup story is, I really want more of the bear. Hey, Django, perfectly acceptable podcast on the horn. Oh, I <laughs> you guys. You uh, hear that energy shift there? That was quite the energy shift. Hey, um, <laughs> hey, Django, did you read Bronze Age Boogie? Ooh, I sure did try. Okay. Oh, <laughs> okay. So you didn't make it to the backup then? I read about four pages, and then I realized that that is not a comic that I want to read. But if it was for one person, who is it for? Roman. Yeah, I know, right? No Jesus, right? That's a fucking Roman comic through and through. Yeah, I uh, I didn't even care enough to find out why that modern-talking girl was hanging out with cavemen or, or barbarians or whatever the fuck they were. Yeah, it just didn't. Yeah, but, but Roman sure liked it, and that's the beauty of Roman. It was so much fun. I think I think Ahoy is really good if uh, if they're writing a story that you're into. And I think that they are really good at writing stories that Roman's into. <laughs> <laughs> they sure are. Well, hey, anything else you want to say to the adoring, wonderful listeners? Man, I am excited to listen to this particular podcast because I didn't read a lot that I liked this week. Yeah, it was a very <laughs> small week of comics, but we found yeah. some stuff to talk about that we're having a good time in here. But, you know, it's just the Roman and Jeff boys. Oh, that's, those are good boys. They're good boys. Good, good, Sounds good like boys. Sounds like you're feeling better. Um, yeah, I, my voice is, I sound worse now than I did at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, well, I'm trying not to get sick because I don't want to go to New Orleans sick. That's why you didn't come in here. That's part of it. I also just almost finished accounting for Comics Place, and now I get to start on fucking Moonbase. Oh, nice. <laughs> well, I'll keep my germ hormones away from you. <laughs> All right. You do that. All right. Bye, buddy. <laughs> bye. Bye. Jungle Born, ladies and gentlemen. Stand up, stand up, stand up guy. Well, I was wrong about the sharks. Well, kind of I mean, wrong. Kind of wrong. They're not his favorite animal. I wonder what his favorite animal is. We'll have to find out next time. All right. Well, listen, we're um, the finish line's in sight here, but we do have to stop for a moment uh, to read Marvel Team Up featuring Spider Man and Miss Marvel by Eve L. Ewing, Joey Vasquez, and Felipe Sombrero. Um, Sombrero. Sombrero. Um, and Sombrero? I don't know which way to start this book Sombrero. because. Both uh, it, covers are exactly yeah. – it's the same image. You can flip it – just infinitely flip it towards yourself, and it's the same image right side up. It doesn't ever go upside down or backward. What the hell? Yeah, I guess it just depends on if you like Spider-Man more or Ms. Marvel more. You can start with either one. So this is the first issue of a new series called Marvel Team-Up. Never been published under that title before. 
Um, and it is a special flipbook format. Start reading from either side. Roman, which side did you start reading from? Well, I actually started with the Spider-Man side. Not I did too. I didn't really mean to. I just that's happened to be how I opened it. Me too. It had the barcode on the cover on the front on that side, so I, oh, yeah, I instinctively it opened it yeah. from that side. <laughs> Um, so the interesting gimmick of this one is because it is a flip book, you can flip it upside down and you, you can read it left to right normally, uh, and it follows either Spider-Man or Miss Marvel until you get to the center of the book where they're both storylines meet in an explosion. And, and it was a gimmick. What did you think of the gimmick, Roman? <laughs> uh, the gimmick itself is fun. It's a fun, it's a yeah. fun gimmick. Yeah. Yeah, it is. That, that was, that was cute. I think that the gimmick itself got a little bit ahead of the storytelling. Yeah. But I don't know if that is a big deal. Um, that might be fine because it's nice to have an interesting change to comics. And if you read a lot of comics, you know, it's it's two 11-page comics or two 10-page comics instead of one 22-page comic. But it meets in the middle and it related in an interesting way and all of my complaints about the book were sort of answered by reading the other half Mm. but to summarize it um if you start with spider-man he is getting ready he's got his who's his roommate i forget his name um Uh, rob is that it yeah i forget (laughs) who it is um Anyway, it's some roommate that's apparently known him for a bunch of times. Randy. Randy. Uh, that's it, yeah. And he's getting ready all dressed up to go introduce an old scientist friend of his who's unveiling a new science project where they can uh, store memory and their consciousness in, in a data form, it sounds like. And he goes to deliver the speech and introduce the person, and then the jackal shows up and tries to steal it, and there's a big explosion and Ms. Marvel is there, and she tries to help him. And if you follow Ms. Marvel's story, she's going on a class field trip. She's hanging out with her buddy who's got a crush on her. And she's excited to go see the scientist lady who is a huge hero of her friends. And Jackal shows up, and she starts to get nervous. So she goes, sneaks off, becomes Ms. Marvel. And Spider-Man shows up, and they, she tries to help him battle the Jackal. And there's this big explosion, and the cliffhanger at the end is that uh, they have switched bodies. But like as I was reading, my complaint was like, we just like Peter is all nervous that he lost his speech, so you know then he has to give the speech, but they cut the whole speech out. So I was like, well, they didn't even show it. But if you read the Ms. Marvel thing, his speech is in that. Um, and as I was reading the Spider-Man side, I was like, man, the Jackal's not saying anything. There's yeah. no development for this character at all. No motive. Weird. But then if you then you read the Ms. Marvel side, and he actually does have dialogue because you're mm-hmm. in a different room that he's talking in, and and in that regard, that was an instance of I think. The gimmick being kind of clever, and I, I think this would have worked better if I had read the Ms. Marvel portion first, personally. Oh. But what do you think? Yeah, I, actually, I kind of wish I'd read the Ms. Mar- Ms. Marvel person or section. Jeez, section first too, because um, yeah, I, it was I was kind of it was kind of rough going going for me at first with the Spider Man second, just because I kind of felt like Peter's I don't know, Peter's dialogue specifically felt kind of flat to me. Yeah, I I thought that the Peter portion was really uninteresting. And and she, Evel Ewing, who is also writing... Um, Ironheart. Ironheart right now, yeah. Um, she wrote a great Ms. Marvel. And I think that yeah. she wrote a great, like, sort of her family and the way that she interacted with her family. And I really liked her best friend, who's clearly got a crush on her. Like, I, I liked that. But the Peter stuff was real, just woof. 
Yeah, yeah. And I, mean, I like the fact that it doesn't – it refers to like current recent continuity, like the fact that Peter lost his professorship and everything, um, but also ignores things just to make it more palatable if you this is your first time reading this stuff, like – Ms. Marvel's buddy, mm-hmm. they've gotten past the, they're way past the stage. They had they admitted feelings for each other. Did she tried, like him also? Yeah, they tried to date, broke up. All this stuff oh, happened. Wow. I mean, they're they're like way past all that stuff. Um, in her own book, I haven't read Ms. Marvel, and it's terrible. I, I I need to fix that. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's a good title. Um, and yeah, the Peter. I mean, I his friend who I think is a character from the 70s, maybe. Um. Her, you in the 70s, her, her dialogue and her device she came up with is really interesting. I like all that. Yep. Um, the only part, I, yeah, I guess the power I didn't like was I don't care about the jackal in this. and I well, There's just no development Yeah, and I didn't him. care about Peter either. Yeah. Except in the Ms. Marvel side. That was, that was fun. She was fun. And I am... I didn't care for this very much. I think the art was fine, and I liked the Ms. Marvel stuff, but I do like the idea of Peter and Ms. Marvel switching bodies, and I think that they'll be switching powers. Hmm. And I like that idea. I like the idea of Ms. Marvel having Spider-Man's powers and, and Peter Parker having Ms. Marvel's powers and being in her family. And Yeah, that'll be fun, especially because Ms. Marvel's always been such, this Kamala Khan's always been such a superhero geek. It'll be fun if the writer pursues that her have the fun of her like playing with Spider-Man's powers mm-hmm. and geeking out over it. I that, love that she's got like the Spider-Man shirt on. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. So that'll be cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I would give the issue uh, a 5.5. I think it was absolutely like, perfectly acceptable. Like the podcast title, but uh, <laughs> it, it did, it was totally inoffensive in a way that I do want to read what happens with the body switching next. And and I, man, I work at a comic shop. I own a comic shop and I am owner of a comic shop. And I have not, I'm always telling people that you should be able to jump into any comic book at any time. But Ms. Marvel is one that it's been going for so long that I feel like I don't want to read that many volumes and catch up, which is lazy on my part. But so it's nice to have a book that is Kamala hmm. and I can drop in on it and it's I don't need to read a ton of stuff to be caught up on. There's a big barrier to entry with that. Um, so that seems a little hypocritical, but I, I really like that this book kind of overcomes that for me. Yeah, yeah, this is a great, like, especially for her, it's a great introduction to her character and her world. Um, I would, I was thinking the same thing, yeah, 5.5. That's that's a good score. I like yeah. that. I, I wouldn't just, mind seeing this gimmick again. Maybe you know, just really a little stronger on the characterizations. If yeah, it's, if like, it's somebody like Peter, Peter Parker, like Trillium did it. Yeah, by Vertigo, Jeff Lemire wrote and drew that one, and that worked really, really well. And it was yeah. a little bit more elegantly done than this. But that was a yeah. Vertigo book, and this is a Marvel book, so I guess you'd expect. Yeah, and I kind of felt like this was an. And all oh, it's rated teen plus. I would, I was assuming this was an all ages. Book. I feel like it's yeah, pretty all ages. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you remember like a year ago when we just sort of had to work to make sure Marvel books were in the podcast? Like it was just all DC stuff, and now like <laughs> we've been getting a lot of Marvel yeah, books. Uh, 
A lot of Marvel these days. So um, we're going to finish this thing. We're going to round it all out with a little major X <laughs> and get on the mother bike oh, and boy. sideswipe <laughs> ourselves by Rob Liefeld and Romulo Ferrardo Jr. Good God. Um, <laughs> oh, Rob Liefeld with two other people inking it. Boy, I, I did not think that I'd be reading a Rob, Rob Liefeld, Liefeld book. production <laughs> yeah, <laughs> ever <man>. again. <laughs> You know what's crazy? This book is like selling out online. It's gone to a second oh. printing. It's going up in value. Like, what is that? I am. I really, I'm really curious. Are, is it just for, for the irony of it? Is it all a big joke, or are there people that are really Liefeld fans? No, I don't think that money. That that I don't think people are spending that money for an ironic joke. <laughs> Man, wow. cable looks like <laughs> shit. Oh yeah, there's one. Well, and like I'm not here to just rag on this book. That's not what's going on. But he he's he's just got this big dumb. Is this what his costume always looked like? That's he what I was have wondering. Did he look like this originally? Shirt on like he he's just, got this big dumb V vest with no shirt. Yeah, well, on the back it looks like a big blue H, big blue blue metal H. And what's, I was like, what's the H stand for? There's no H in cable. Oh. Um. um how should we start with this? Uh, Major X. Is a, is a brand new character, has shown up in the the past. He basically shows up at the 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 X. I think he calls it the X Mansion. Um, oh no, he calls it the X Manor. Which right away I was like, it's the X Mansion, not Manor. But anyway, he shows up there back when it was Cable and early Cable and early X Force. I think these characters are yeah X Force. Um, and Major X shows up there with a apparently. White and red beast from the future. They're from the future, from this other... From a different dimension. Yeah, another dimension. Another future dimension. (laughs) He always had a shirt. Like, I'm looking at like this stuff. Unless, like, New Mutants in 87 or whatever, his first appearance didn't have a shirt. Like, I don't know why Rob Liefeld decided to take his fucking shirt off, man. What the fuck? He just looks dumb. Yeah. There's one side shot of Cable where he's got his arm out and the rest at the side, and it's like... His arm, it doesn't look like a human being. There's like kind of a, a rough sketch of an arm sticking out of a rough sketch of a torso. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so Major X comes here to do something, um, confront Cable to try and save them from whatever this dimension him and White and Red Beast were from, who's called M- McCoy. It's yeah, M-, M apostrophe K-O-Y. Oh, yeah, God, yeah. <laughs> Apparently it's the beast from. But he says, "Oh my stars and garters." Yeah, he says that. Um, I I don't even know where to start. I and mean, there's artistic inconsistencies. He has fins, little tiny fins on his head on the cover, and a couple panels, and then they disappear. But then they reappear later for next issue, and we don't know what those fins do. So, <laughs> man, so Deadpool like ten or something came out several weeks ago, and. Rob Liefeld drew a variant cover that had Major X on it, and he released it at, like, Emerald City Comic Con. And he did that to strategically make the first printed appearance of Major X be this cover that he did a variant for. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, it's only available at my booth at the con. Come by. I'll you know, I'll sign it or whatever. But then it came out. That actually the Wednesday before that in Spider-Man Deadpool, there's this big explosion scene with a bunch of superheroes like getting blown up and somebody drew Major X in it. 
So that actually the first printed <laughs> appearance came out several days earlier in a different book that he didn't have anything to do with. So then life felt like God online. And he was like, hey, I don't agree with this. Like, I'm not ever going to autograph this book. It's not the first printed appearance. Like, I didn't endorse this. And it's so it's just like the dude is such a narcissist like he just thinks he's the shit yeah i mean on the one hand i mean if it was other artists i'd, I'd say well you know maybe he's got a point there but you know at the same time have a sense of humor about yourself have man. a sense I of mean, humor about I, yourself. I mean this this is apparently your rebirth as being an important person in comics so you know embrace it <laughs> yeah you, and use it. i yeah i don't mean to be so negative about him I, I, what i'll say is that i chase my nostalgia, I chase feeling about the things that I liked as a kid a lot. Like, I still buy a bunch of Dragon Ball Z toys. I got a Dragon Ball Z wallet. I love getting Pokemon stuff. Yeah. I love listening to oh, the yeah. pop music I listened to when I was young. So I think that if you dug X-Men comics in the early 90s, I think that this would scratch an itch in the right way that mm. hasn't been there. I didn't read those comics. I was too young at that point. I was born in 89, so I got really into stuff just after, like, the Deadpool and all that stuff. Um, so, so I don't blame anybody for liking this because I, I think that it is gratifying if you used to dig this stuff. I, I, I that, that's a good, that's a good point. I mean, same thing with me. And that's, that's why I dig like Bronze Age Boogies. It's 1975. That's when I first started reading comics basically. Um, even though, you know, I'm 36, so who knows how that works. But, um, but yeah, you're right. If somebody was really into this in the nineties, this kind of thing. Yeah, that scratches an itch. I mean, I was working at a comic book store then, same comic book store, but <laughs> and I read some of it, and some of it I was kind of into a little bit, and then realized, oh, this isn't Claremont Burn, Austin X Men that I was into. But yeah, for some people, like some people, I'm sure would really dig this this other dimension. Major X is from the existence. Existence. Wow, very edgy life felt. Existence. And his bike that he time travels on is called the Mother Bike, and the it's mother a time bike. trip, time travel device. That's I do like bike. that idea because it's very Kirby. The mother yeah, bike. But I and don't he know. made some other X reference later. The existence and the the I forget the, the oh, person who the, gives the X. That's right. There's a person that keeps this existence. We don't know, and I'm sure together. that's going to be some big existential. Existential. Yeah. Like. Existential, existential and also essential, I guess. The and I'm, I'm sure that'll become some person from our u- universe that, like, oh, it's this person became this person. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I would be <coughs> able to have a little bit more fun with this book if Liefeld himself had a little bit more fun with himself. But he takes himself so seriously. Yeah. If you look up Rob Liefeld, he takes himself real seriously. I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, but unfortunately, you know, Major X, his, his basic design, it's way too much like toned down Deadpool. Oh, it it's, looks it's, so much it's, like it's Deadpool. It's just not interesting visually. I mean, I was glad to see, um, spoiler, Wolverine shows up mm-hmm. in the next book. But that was my favorite thing in the issue. He shows up and he's wearing his, his brown and tan costume, which is my favorite Wolverine And that's costume. from our timeline. Yeah. So let's find a, some cool things. You kind of like the mother bike idea. Yep. Um, this guy, Major X, has a sword and it's apparently in the future after Wolverine has died. It's mm. the adamantium from his bones that have been melted down over to a sword. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I like the color pattern on this beast. The, the kind of red shoulders with white fur. 
that's 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 kind of cool. <laughs> I don't like ending a podcast on a real negative note, but uh, if I gave Marvel Team Up a five point five, I got to give this one a four point five. I that that's better than I was gonna. I'm I'm gonna give it like a a two. Yeah, I'm gonna go four. <laughs> actually, I don't know why I would go to four point five. Fuck it, it's like a four. There's some cool pictures in it and a couple cool ideas, but mostly it's uh. It's a person I don't like doing a thing that isn't appealing to me. That being said, I think if you like this type of thing, like... Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. You shouldn't for... be ashamed to like this. I like things that I think other people would give a two. Yeah. So don't feel yeah. bad about it. Yeah, and, you know, and that and also taste change. When in the 90s, I was really digging, you know, some of those X-books and stuff, which now I look back, I'm like, wow, that I this doesn't appeal to me at all anymore. Um, so, you know, I might... I don't know if I'll actually read the next issue. I might glance at it just to find out who exactly Major X is and how he ties into the other X characters. But I don't know if I'll actually read the entire full next issue. Yeah, I'll glance on it. Uh, I got to go out on a high note. Justice League 21 by Scott Hmm. Snyder and uh, Jorge Jimenez was really good. Uh, I want to keep checking in. I've really liked all three issues of this six-dimension arc. I like the art an extreme amount. I wasn't incredibly into the character design for the Forger of Worlds, who was kind of the big villain in Dark Knight's Metal. But whatever. I, I We learned a lot about what's actually happening here, and it's not like Secret Organization is creating this fake reality and they're cracking the code. Like, they're very upfront. Yeah, in order to make this place, all of you heroes had to do horrible, horrible things. You had to kill a bunch of planets, but it's the only reality where good triumphs. Uh, it's... It's good stuff, and at the end we got Lois Lane as this haggard, haggard war veteran on this planet. That uh, it's pretty rad. I love this arc so far. It's been good. Yeah, I like it. I'll, uh, go, I'll go on a high note and say, Cosmic Ghost Rider destroys Marvel history. It's pretty awesome. Did you it, like the first issue? I did. Every issue is like like a deep dive into Marvel history, and it's just Donny Cates having fun with Marvel history because he's this having. This isn't Donny Cates. Oh crap. I'm sorry. Who is this? <laughs> Paul Shear and Nick Giovanetti. Oh, wow. Well, this was a really fun issue because whoever's writing this thing, um, it's just a Cosmic Ghost Rider, Frank Castle, kind of in telling these stories to his, she doesn't know it, but his his wife um, in the past and about, and he keeps adding himself into Marvel history as if he was there, as if he was like buddies and partners with Spider-Man early in Spider-Man's career. And, it, and it's pretty funny. And it fills you in on a lot of stuff. Uh, I wasn't hugely into the first issue, but it was like Fantastic Four stuff, and it just didn't. I, I love Fantastic Four, but it didn't make sense for the Cosmic Ghost Rider stuff to be in there. This issue is mostly like Spider-Man and Venom yeah. stuff that it looks like it fits way more with the tone of Cosmic Ghost Rider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This page right there just cracks me up. That whole thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. If you say that's good, I'm excited to read that one. It was a lot of fun. I think you'd like the it. cover itself is great. Yeah. Yeah. What do you give it? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, did you get Justice League? No, I didn't. Okay. Um, Cosmic Ghost Rider, I'll give that a 7.5. Nice. I'm going to give Justice League 21 an 8. Sweet. So okay. A lot of high scoring comics this week. Yeah. This was a week where I picked, I read a lot of books I don't normally read, um, and I still only came home with like 12 books, which is incredibly small. Hmm. Uh, yeah. It was a very small week. So I'm looking forward to some very interesting weeks in the future. Uh, next week, we've got some good stuff. Cool. Sweet, sweet, sweet. So, uh, gosh, Roman, 
I think we're going to have some more fun. I think Colette's going to be on next week. Wow, cool. That, well, that's wonderful, though I, that I won't be on because I'll be in Seattle. What day are you going to Seattle? All Saturday the 13th. That. We'll go on Wednesday or something. Oh, we'll make oh. sure you're there. I need you. I, always, I need you always, <laughs> well, That's Roman. very sweet. You're the rock uh, at the bottom of my anchor. I'm the rock. Me down. Listen up, jabroni. We're going we're gonna to go watch WrestleMania tomorrow. I can't wait. We're going to get I know, ice cream I'm, cake. I've been so excited. Uh, I have tomorrow off. I'm going to just too. all day WrestleMania. Love it. Uh, all right, everybody. Well, um, hey, we would love for you to get a hold of us. Uh, our phone number at the wonderful Perfectly Acceptable com- Comics Place podcast is one 619-663-7336. And we would love for you to call us or leave us a voicemail. Uh, you won't ever get to us. You'll just leave a voicemail yep. there. But just leave a review. Ask us a question. Uh, you know, any number of things. We'd yeah. love to hear from you. Yeah. Uh, pronounce your name. Yeah. yeah. Tell me to quit going on so much about 1975. No one <laughs> wants you to stop talking about 1975. They can you com- comment on our Facebook page, too. Um, I hope that everybody is enjoying the music. I've been doing that since the yep. last 20 or so issues, and that's been a lot of fun. Um, gosh, I think we'll have Django or Justin or somebody back. No, Django won't be here next week, actually. He'll be down oh. in New Orleans. He'll be in New Orleans. Yeah. He'll be in New Orleans. I'll be in Seattleans. No, yeah, well, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see, we'll see. Um, all right, everybody, we'll see you next week for 127. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate you. Bye, folks. Bye.